1 Corinthians 13 is probably one of those passages that if you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard it. And if you've ever planned a wedding, it was probably suggested to you at some point. Well, the love chapter. There's 1 Corinthians 13. Why don't you take a look at that? Maybe that would be a good one to read. And I have had a great many weddings that I've officiated where the couple wants to read it. Or I've been to weddings where it's been read. And in our wedding, we almost read it. I think we, I think we vetoed it at the last second. But it's one of those things where it gets kind of pigeonholed into this. Well, you know, it's this soft kind of lovey-dovey. We love each other. This is the beginning of our married life together. So let's talk about all the ideals that we wish we could fulfill. And then your spouse doesn't roll up the toothpaste tube the right way and it all goes out the window. But it's funny because in the context of that particular passage, the letter that Paul wrote to Corinth, it wasn't about couples. Is about the church. The verse before and the verse after talk about the differences that people have, how those differences work together. How does the body of Christ have many different parts? Some of you are eyes, ears, hands, feet, livers, pancreas. Some of you, if you're missing, we'd have diabetes. You know, like, it's just one of those things, right? Like, he talks about this, this analogy that he has where everybody has all these different parts, We read last week that some of the parts are treated with special honor because of their not-so-honorableness, so that all may be equal. And so we get the idea that, like, well, you know, there are are jobs in the church to volunteer with, and then there are jobs in the church to volunteer with, and we kind of rank them, you know. Um, And then Paul kind of turns that on his head and says, no, 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 this is how it works. If one of you is missing, we have a problem. In the end, he says, and now let me show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. It's tacked on to the end of this is why everybody should be treated equally. This is why everybody in the body of Christ is essential. This is why we can't play favorites. This is why it's not allowed to say to one person, well, you are the eye of the church. Let's put you up front because you're special. And you, you might be the left pinky toenail, so we've got a seat in back for you. Because the most excellent way is to be loving. And if we don't have that, we end up being this resounding gong or clanging cymbal. And if you've ever had a child in your house who has a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, this is not a favorable comparison. (laughs) You're just noise. You might have knowledge. You might have a faith that can perform miracles. But if you don't do it out of love, what good are you in the body of Christ? And so it's this, it's this context for this is how it ought to be. This is how the gifts of the body of Christ should be practiced. If you're going to be a left pinky toenail, you better be a loving left pinky toenail. If you're going to be the eye of the church, you better be a loving eye of the church. If you're going to be a right fingernail or index finger or whatever you are, you'd better be a loving insert role here. Some of you keep that pantry restocked. I almost never see anyone do it, but somehow that bookshelf is always full of food somehow. And I see people taking food. I never see anyone putting it on it. So when you put food on that pantry shelf, thank you. 
And I hope that you do it out of love, not out of obligation. That's, that's my guess, because I don't see you doing it, so you're not like saying, hey guys, look, I kind of brought a bag of groceries today. You know, like, nobody does that, right? And so that's my hope, is that when we serve one another, we do it out of love, because that's what Paul says is the most excellent way. But then halfway through the chapter, he kind of switches it up, right? He starts talking about things that are childish or things that are adultish, right? Or now that I've done that, now, now that I put childhood behind me, you know? So I actually kind of want to know, so this is not rhetorical. You can answer this question. If you were to make a list of childish things that you've put behind you, what makes the list? Cartoons? What? Wetting the bed? Being petty, revenge? What? Whining? Tantrums? All right, so like, you know, we're sensing a little bit of a theme there, right? And then Paul says, well, now that I am an adult, now that I am fully grown, I have put these childish things behind me. And he talks about that in context of, of love, right? And he's got this list of what love is. And he's also got some things in there that is a list of what love isn't. And I get the sense that Paul would have a different standard for what being an adult is than what our modern culture would. Right? Right? Because if you were to be patient and kind, if you keep no record of wrongs, if, if you were to start doing all of those things, you would probably have somebody take you aside at some point, somebody who cares about you, somebody who's looking out for you, and say, hey, look, it's a really nice thing that you're doing. I, I, I appreciate that you're going out of your way to help people, but don't you think it's time you kind of take care of yourself? I see you put yourself out there one too many times, and I see that that kind of hurts you a bit. I think it's maybe time you stop being quite so kind to everyone. Maybe you have a list of people that don't quite, maybe they haven't earned your kindness. Maybe we just kind of exclude those people. And we look at that as a part of growing up in our culture. You know, we, we like our kids to share. We teach them. You know, if somebody comes up and wants you to share with them, you have to share. But then as adults, if somebody comes up and they want us to share something with them, no, this is mine. I went to work. I worked my 40 or 60 hours of work this week. And I earned this. You don't get any. Which of those two is more adult? Which of those two is more mature? And yet we, we kind of celebrate this jaded quality that we get as we get older, if we're not careful, right? We celebrate the fact that we go, well, maybe they haven't earned it. Maybe if I give away my stuff, I won't have any stuff left, and then I won't be good to anyone either. Or the number one metaphor for this I get is like the whole the airplane thing. If you lose cabin pressure, you put on your mask first, and then you put on your neighbor's mask. 
And we use that as an excuse, but what I think we actually live out is that we put on our mask first, and then we're afraid to put the mask on anyone else because there's a limited amount of air in the tank. And if they get any air, what if we run out and then there's not enough left for me? That's being adult. It's being responsible. It's planning ahead. It's trying to make sure you don't squander resources because if you stretch yourself too thin, it really doesn't do anyone any good. And it sounds all very reasonable and adult. And, and so I, I get the feeling that sometimes when we pray, too, we, we try to have these adult prayers. Right? Like when you're a kid, you just ask for whatever comes to mind. Kirsten has a cycle she goes through. You know, I thank you for Mommy and Daddy and Kirsten and Junia and Mommy and Daddy and Kirsten and Junia and for TV and for food and for Mommy and Daddy. and You know, like she kind of cycles around it for a while. Right? And it's great. I love it. But if during our prayer time, one of our esteemed adults of the church were like, hey, just thank you for this food and for the time we spent together and this food. And I thank you for the conversation we're about to have and the food. I'm really excited about the soup. And, I, you know, like, you get the feeling like you kind of like, you judge them a bit for that. That's not very mature. Why? You, you can't be that thank, thankful for the food. I mean, you've said that twice already. You're on your third. If you go for a fourth, we're just going to cut you right off. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's seen as immature to just speak what's on your mind. You've got to moderate it. You've got to tamp it down a bit. You can't, you can't ask for too much. You can't be too thankful. You can't be too sincere. You can't be too earnest about what you believe or what you hope for. I have a hope that one day I could tell people how I vote and not tick off half the people in the room. Is that too much to ask? I don't think so. Is it realistic? No. Is it what a mature Christian should want and pray for? Yeah. I want to be able to tell people how I voted and not tick off half of you. I want to be able to say, this is what God led me to do, and I acted on my conscience as led by the Holy Spirit, and I want you to be like, I voted the other way, but God bless you. That would be fantastic. It's not realistic at all, but I think it's a mature Christian thing to do. Like this last week, I I actually had a a conundrum as Pastor Kevin, I, I had a crisis of faith. Because I'm praying for Hudson before his surgery. And I actually had a moment where I'm praying for him. And I'm like, dare I pray that he comes home sooner than expected? Is that reasonable? Like, the doctors know what they're doing, right? And so if the doctors say it's going to take this many days, it's going to take that many days. And we kind of plan for worse. And I'm like, do I dare to pray for better? Am I just setting them up for false hope? Is that responsible of me to even say out loud that I want him home in like three days? Because I do. And I believe that God can do that. But is that that really the adult way to do things? And I think that God had bringing Hudson home in store in mind before I prayed even. But I'm glad I prayed for that because it was honest. It was earnest. I didn't want him in the hospital for weeks. I wanted him to come home. I should pray for him to come home. 
And yet somehow we, we get this idea in our head that it's good to say, Lord, we pray that Hudson would come home soon, but your will be done. And we kind of tag that on as like a giant asterisk so that we can say, if God doesn't answer our prayers, well, it just must not be his will and we get to just kind of walk away and we don't have to ask any of the hard questions. I kind of want to pray like a kid again. I want to say, God, this is awful. This is terrible. I wish he didn't have to have surgery. This is junk. I'm holding you just a tiny bit responsible, and I want him home soon. Please. You know, like, I I feel like he is obviously free to do what he likes. I don't get to tell God what to do, but I think I should tell God what I want and how I feel. I don't think we should hide ourselves behind layers and layers and layers of, well, I'm trying to be an adult. I'm trying to put those childish ways of praying behind me. And I'm trying to pray like a mature believer who doesn't ever actually ask for anything. I think we strangle our own faith and we call it maturity. (laughs) And so... Without this idea of this extravagant, unrestricted love, everything else we do is kind of diminished. It's like having the Mona Lisa in the room and not turning on the light. It doesn't really mean anything. Like, yes, I was there. I was there in the room with this great piece of art, and it was completely dark, and I didn't really look. What good is it? What's the point? Why did you, why? And I feel like sometimes our, the way we handle our lives is that we're here. We've got the Holy Spirit in the room. And we don't really pay attention. We don't turn on the lights. We don't ask for anything. And we don't listen. Because we feel like if we get too invested, if we try and get ahead of the Holy Spirit, that's going to be a problem. I'd rather take Jesus at his word when the disciples tried to kind of like shush the children away. Like, he's, he's busy, he's doing his church speaking, like, parable sermonizing thing, and these kids are just way too disruptive. So, you know, we got to keep these kids over here so that he can keep doing his godly thing over there, because the two can't mix, because this is too chaotic, and that's too whatever they thought it was. And then Jesus says, no, 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 <laughs> bring on the kids. The kingdom of heaven belongs to the ones like this. And whether we're trying to shut out the kids because they're too rowdy, or whether we're trying to shut out the adults who ask for a little too much. I don't know if you've ever really spent a lot of time around a brand new Christian who's never been to church before, and then at like 35 to 50, they convert. And they don't know what they're not supposed to pray for. And so they suddenly just start praying for all this stuff, and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Hold on, slow down. I, I, I need to stop you right there because we, we can't pray for that. We can't pray that God gets you a job tomorrow. I mean, come on. We can't pray that your alcoholic relative who's been struggling with it for two decades, you can't pray that it just overnight disappears. I mean, God can't do that. I mean, he can, but... I would love to strip away the layers 
of adult that we've put over the core and the truth of the faith and who God really is. Because I think God wants everyone healed yesterday. I think God wants an end to pain and suffering. I think God wants everyone to be provided for, even the people who waste their paycheck. And I don't think that's too much to ask. So what I am sort of recommitting myself to is to try less hard to be an adult about my faith. Because <laughs> my kid doesn't know what she can't ask for. She'll ask me for a dessert, and then five seconds later ask for another dessert, and then five seconds after that ask for a third dessert, and it's 9.05 in the morning. She doesn't know what she can't have, so she just asks for what she wants. I think that's what God would like us to do. Hey God, I have a friend who's sick. I need you to heal them before I give them a call so that I call them and they feel better already. Hey God, this person's going in for surgery. I need them home two days later. Thanks. Hey God, this person's hungry. We have hungry people in our city. I have no idea how they're even all gonna get fed, but I would love for nobody to go hungry within you know, like a 500 mile radius of my house. Let me know what I can do to help with that. Let's pray like we believe that God is omnipotent. Because I can't wait to see what would happen if we did. It's funny because people ask me, like, what's the point of church for me? <laughs> and we asked Kirsten this morning, actually. We're like, Kirsten, what's, what's communion? And she said, it's church. <laughs> and it's just cool because it, it does kind of encapsulate everything. It encapsulates repentance and grace freely offered and the power of God to redeem all of us once and for all. All in this one thing it's church. So let's come to the table together. And let's come as kids.